Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Here to break down Vikings Packers week. Guys, does it feel like Vikings Packers week, Ben? Not quite i guess there's so many so many injuries that are uh there are a lot of moving parts with both these teams i think this could go a number of different ways it it doesn't feel like the kind of um huge buildup that we've seen for a lot of these games in the past just because there's a lot of things we're monitoring with both of these teams in terms of who's going to be on the field on sunday but um it would have felt a lot different i think if they hadn't won last sunday i, I think we would be watching a, a noticeably different team with a noticeably different feel if they had lost that game. So um, it, it has implications for both teams. That's for sure. Yeah. The Vikings are back in it, in the hunt. They're in the hunt graphic. Now half a game out of that seven seed in the NFC. Playoff. Where they live. This is a hunt graphic. <laughs> I tweeted like two months ago. I can't wait for the, in the hunt graphic during that week, 17 Sunday night game. And I think we're going to have it, baby. We're going to have mm-hmm. it. They're going to be like seven and eight in the hunt, baby. Let's do it. You didn't even need to wait until week 17. We're going to see it probably this week, week 11. Good. Because, yeah, the Vikings are right there. It's a wide-open NFC. There seems to be no good teams, no great teams, I should say, just a bunch of good teams and a bunch of okay teams in terms of the Vikings and Panthers and all these other ones vying for these spots. But uh, we'll discuss where the Vikings and Packers rivalry is at at this point in 2021. Uh, the Packers kind of last dance season, and if the Vikings can – Uh, spoil that with two games remaining against them in the second half of the season. We'll get to all the absences as well that Ben was alluding to, as well as some people coming back, Harrison Smith, potentially Patrick Peterson, uh, maybe even Anthony Barr on Sunday. So this defense could look quite a bit different than the one that just shut down Justin Herbert on the road. Um, And then we'll take your questions as well. We'll also talk about a potential change on the offensive line um, too, with Garrett Bradbury coming back from the COVID list. But let's let's just start with Vikings Packers, the rivalry. They're seven, six, and one since Mike Zimmer came here. The the uh, six, seven, and one, I should say. The Vikings are. Uh, the Packers are seven, six, and one. It's been fairly split down the middle. Uh, the Vikings actually have the edge in the last few years. The Vikings stole that game at Lambeau Field last year out of the bye week, twenty-eight to twenty-two, when Dalvin Cook ran wild. Um, but I would venture to guess this game's going to take a different form, uh, right, Ben? Because you just talked about that defense, and it seems like the Vikings might have to grind one out in terms of a lower-scoring game than maybe we're used to seeing in these Vikings-Packers games. Yeah, certainly the, the, it's, that's certainly a possibility. I think the Packers offensively have not been the group they were last year for any number of different reasons. Their offensive line has had a number of moving parts with injuries and it's just seemed like they're not quite at the point where they are able to hit the gas quite in the way that they were last year. Abertanian being out, I think, for the season, Aaron Jones being hurt. Um, it, it, it's taken an effect. But on the other side of the ball, even though they're pretty banged up there as well, they've turned into one of the better units in the league. They've the last three weeks faced Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and Russell Wilson, shut out the Seahawks on Sunday. Uh, held the three quarterbacks to a combined 511 yards and might have swept that stretch had Aaron Rodgers been on the field in Kansas City and it had not been Jordan Love. So um, I, I don't 
I got to be honest, I don't quite get it with this defense because they're missing Jair Alexander, their best corner. They're missing Zedarius Smith, their best pass rusher. You know, two guys who have been Pro Bowl players at premium positions, and they're as good as they've ever been. At least they've played as well as they ever have to this point. And I guess it's just people executing assignments in a fundamentally sound way. That they're, they're not busting coverages. You're not seeing them miss a ton of tackles, which we've seen in the past. I, I'm a little skeptical that it holds up, but so far they've been awfully good defensively. Yeah, Mike, we're seeing uh, former Gopher linebacker Devondre Campbell leading the Packers in, in tackles. It seems like this defense, even without all the star power that Ben talked about, has found a way to uh, keep teams under uh, really low water level. I mean, I think nobody's top 22 points on the Packers in the last like five or six games or something like that. Um, I guess, Mike, have you caught much of the Packers this season? And what are you thinking about just this matchup in terms of where these two teams are at right now? Yeah, I've watched some, and I'm, I kind of share Ben's sentiment. I'm su- I'm just surprised at how well their defense has played. It's just a different a different kind of Packers team than we're really used to seeing. Where you know it's kind of been the Aaron Rodgers show for a lot of years, and he's had to paper over a lot of other deficiencies that maybe they've had. And, and this year, it's a little different. He's he's been good. He's he's played well, but you know by and large, it's been you know, it's been a lot of the defense playing well. It's been a lot of balance, um, things like that. And obviously, you know, he's bailed them out of a couple of games, put together some some key drives and and, and won some games for them. Um, but it, it hasn't been just this, you know, Aaron Rodgers or nothing else kind of mentality with them. It's been, you know, it's been an opportunity for them to to really, you know, to be more balanced this year. And that probably serves them well going forward if, like Ben said, they're able to sustain that. And I think that's a I think that's a fair question. Can they sustain that? Um and you know, and what do the Vikings come into this game looking to do based on what the Packers have been able to do on defense this year? Yeah, and it's hard to know a little bit too, right, Ben, what to expect when there's going to be so many moving parts on both sides. Cause you've got Aaron Jones likely out for the Packers. Now you you read off the list of guys out for Green Bay today at practice. The Vikings list is just as equally long. Um, Brian O'Neill wasn't out there. McKenzie Alexander wasn't out there. Uh, the kicker, Greg Joseph was not out there. Uh, DJ Wanham now starting defensive end wasn't out there. Well, we got to see why later when the injury report comes out, but, uh, if it's COVID related, that could throw a wrench into a lot of those guys being available and certainly injuries could as well. And then the Vikings also at the same time, will be getting reinforcements and Harrison Smith, potentially Patrick Peterson, and maybe Anthony Barr. So it's hard to just sit there and say, okay, this is who they're going to have on either side because both teams have just got a lot of moving parts right now and maybe none bigger for the Vikings than potentially Brian O'Neill. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on in, in both of these uh, cases, a lot of injuries to keep an eye on. Rashawn Gary would be the other one for the Packers, the um, second or third year player out of Michigan who's turned an awfully good pass rusher for them. Got hurt on Sunday. It sounds like from the reporters at Green Bay, uh, he was stretching and, and running around a little bit. Um, but we'll see if he plays. We'll see if David Bakhtiari comes back. We'll see if Aaron Rodgers is back to normal. He was not practicing today. I, I would think that's probably just the arrest day. But, you know, worth keeping an eye on. It sounds like Devontae Adams wasn't out there either. So lots to keep track of this week uh, with injuries on both sides or. Could be COVID in some cases too, but yeah, the Brian O'Neill thing, I think, becomes 
certainly the the big one to watch for the Vikings. He did an awfully good job for a lot of the game last week against Joey Bosa, other than the, the, the fumble that Bosa forced on Kirk Cousins. And if they don't have him, uh, you have to figure that becomes a place where the Packers try to test the Vikings offensive line and, and try to uh, put some pressure on Kirk Cousins over there. So yeah, that's, that's the big one to me this week is just Brian O'Neill available on Sunday or not. And I guess too, it's, it's interesting to see that the Chargers put Joey Bosa on the COVID list today, and that could be totally not connected to Brian's absence, but the NFL at this point is not, um, has not acknowledged any on-field transmission between players of COVID-19, but uh, for Joey Bosa, the guy who Brian O'Neill blocked most of the time on Sunday to be on the COVID list, and then Brian not being at practice Wednesday, we'll have to see if that's related once the Vikings injury report comes out and they have to make these designations because um, we don't know at this point. But Ben, you said it yourself. I mean, Mike, every time we see the Vikings kind of fall apart against Green Bay, it usually starts with that pass rush. And in, in the past, it had been Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith. Um, Smith's not going to be there, but if Rashawn Gary is, they can play that part. And, and that's kind of when really when we see the Vikings fall apart against anybody, it usually starts there. Yeah, it does. And I mean, you know, like, like we talked about the Packers defense being what it is. I mean, shutting out Russell Wilson, even if he was a little bit rusty. I mean, I don't care what, you know, I don't care what it is. If you shut out an NFL team, especially with a quarterback like that, you must be doing plenty of things right. And even if it's not a pass rush, even if it's just a team that's pretty fundamentally sound and is going to, you know, has certain schemes to, to take away the things the Vikings like to do. Uh, you take the, you take away the things the Vikings like to do and uh, they, they don't do all that well. I mean, and maybe some, maybe that goes for a lot of different teams, but it feels like particularly the Vikings, if they can't play the way they want to play on offense, they're going to have some issues during that game. Yeah. And it has to do with Kirk in my, in my opinion, it's with Kirk just being comfortable and, and being aggressive as we've noted. And it seems like the Vikings offense found that rhythm or that aggressiveness that they had sought in LA. Uh, ben was, you're writing about this for tomorrow, just in the grand scheme. Do you think that that was more of a product of they're three and five and they need to pull out all the stops to win? Uh, and is that something they can carry forward now that they have that win that they desperately needed so much? Well, Adam Thielen certainly seemed to hope that it's going to carry forward. That seemed to be the message he was sending when I asked him about it a little bit today. He said, I hope this is the template now. I hope we are going to play this way from now on because this is the way you have to win games in the NFL in 2021. And who that was intended for, whether that was his quarterback, his offensive coordinator, or his head coach, or maybe a combination of those three, I'm not entirely sure, but it does seem like there's hope, at least from, from the receivers, certainly. And there's, there's obviously selfish reasons for that as well, but it seems like they're hoping it continues in this direction. I, I think one thing I'm going to be curious to see, uh, and Mike Zimmer talked about it a little bit after the game on Sunday, they had quite a few spots where it was first and 20 or second and 18 or uh, third and 12, where you have to throw the ball downfield to do something. So with some of that a product of those down and distant situations, I think we'll have to see. But at the same time, we've also seen plenty of third and 12s this year where they check it down for four yards and punt. So um, it seemed like a different approach. It seemed like Cousins was more willing to give Jefferson a chance, especially in one-on-one matchups. And I, I just, I think that's the way you have to go forward when you have a receiver like that. I, I was telling Tip Scoggins about this today. I remember it, it was a game against the Packers in 
I want to say it was a Sunday night in 2013. It was, I think, the game where the Packers didn't punt. I remember Rodgers said something afterwards. He'd thrown a touchdown um, to Jordy Nelson, I think, right behind Josh Robinson. And Robinson had pretty decent coverage on the play, other than the fact he gave up probably three or four inches to Jordy Nelson. But he had his back to the play. And I remember Rodgers saying after the game, if a, a corner has his back to me, I consider the receiver to be open. Even if it's even if the coverage is tight, I can put the ball in, and I trust my receivers enough that we're going to be able to make a play before they can react. And I think you have to get to that point with Cousins and Jefferson, or Cousins and Thielen, because you have receivers that have shown they can make contested catches, they can win one on one, and they can beat press coverage. Justin Jefferson did it Sunday. Adam Thielen has shown he can do it too. You have to trust these guys and trust yourself to make the throws consistently because they're not going to be open by three or four yards. You're going to have to sustain drives with these guys getting a lot of attention and a lot of tight coverage. And I think if you can continue to do that, then the offense is probably going somewhere. If you can't, then maybe we're headed right back to the same issues. Yeah, that's a good way to put it because we did see so many times. I mean, I, I think of that Jefferson was at a 27 yarder where it was the go ball and he just had to leap over the corner who exactly as you described it with Rogers and Robinson was turned away from cousins and you can make that kind of play. And, and it just seems like so many times he's been scared to do that. I thought it was telling when uh, some, we'd asked him after the game about, you know, does this, can, can the aggressiveness coming from the head coach Zimmer saying, let's do it. Let's be aggressive. Can that help cousins play more freely? Mike. And we heard cousins say after the game, like, well, I'm pretty methodical. <laughs> it's like, well, no kidding. Cause that's kind of the problem, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so, but it, it, at the end of the day, it all comes down to, you know, Kirk is going to do what what Kirk does, and I think, you know, part of the reason they were able to be a little bit more aggressive in that game was that the offensive line held up reasonably well in that game, and if, if, he's, if he's under pressure again, I mean, again, Brian O'Neill's status is critical in this case because if, if he's got, you know, if, if Rashad Hill has to play, with, you know, and Rashad Hill is – you know, he's played enough that we know his, we know what he is and we know what he isn't. He's, he's not going to get beat on every play, but he's not Brian O'Neill. He's not your, you know, what they've paid as a franchise tackle. So if all of a sudden you've got, you know, someone as your right tackle, if you're getting pressure in your face a lot, you're going to get uncomfortable really fast. So I, I think sometimes it has less to do with the mentality and more about how well is Kirk Cousins being protected? And is he comfortable enough to make those throws in a game? Cause we've seen him do it sometimes. And I don't think it's just an on off switch. I think it really is his comfort level from game to game. We heard, we've heard from quarterbacks too over the years. I think Kirk's talked about this as well, about how the worst kind of pressure is, is right up the middle. Generally, if, if you are, and we actually hear this from defensive, the Vikings defensive coaches all the time about um, to make him most uncomfortable, you want to get at his feet. You want to get him pressured in his face. And, and that's the quickest way to the quarterback, obviously. So in that vein, it seems like the Vikings might end up sticking with Mason Cole at center, even though Garrett Bradbury is coming back this week. He was cleared to return to practice today, Wednesday of this week from the COVID list. He tested positive November 4th and was out two games. Um, Mike Zimmer didn't want to name him the starter when he was asked about it. I think it was on Monday of this week. Um, and even though Kirk said Garrett was back with us in the starting offense in the, in the walkthrough, um, just a little bit we could see during the open portion of practice. It seemed Mason Cole was doing some of the stuff that the other starters were doing, the other four starters, including Rashad Hill on Wednesday. So I think at this point, if I had to bet, I would bet that they stick with Mason Cole. 
Um, ben, what do you think about that? And, and I guess just in general, what that means for first round pick Garrett Bradbury. Well, the, the second angle of that is the interesting one to me because we have seen it around here before where guys who are first round picks get more opportunities to prove the people that drafted them correct. And Garrett Bradbury was one of those picks, I think, at the time, I mean, those of us who cover the teams, yeah, they need a center. They need to, to replace Pat Elfline. He's not getting the job done. But I think on the outside of it, it was one of those picks that you say, boy, a center with the 19th overall pick, that's kind of high to take a center and kind of high to spend a pick of that nature on that position. So, and especially I think in a draft, I think that was the same draft the Packers got Elton Jenkins. And um, I think the Saints ended up picking up some some help on the middle of the offensive line from that as well. Maybe Eric McCoy was in that draft. Um, so it was a good draft for interior offensive linemen. And that's going to be one of those picks that if Bradbury loses the job, you probably put that in the list, which is getting to be a fairly long one at this point, of first-round picks that didn't pan out. And I don't think that necessarily means you keep him in the lineup when you need to win to keep your job. but I do wonder if there's going to be more reluctance to sit him and move on from him, given where he was drafted and given the fact that you haven't had the greatest track record other than Justin Jefferson, which I admit is a big exception. But other than that, your track record on these picks has not been that good. So I I wonder if that's going to factor into any of the thinking at all. Well, Mike Zimmer, I mean, this this coaching staff certainly has to win too, right? So I I, have to – yeah, you'd have to imagine that if that's a discussion in the room where they're saying, because Garrett's a first-round pick, he's got the talent, we got to keep him out there, um, that there might be pushback from coaches who are maybe saying, look what Mason just did for us in these past couple games. I think there was some rocky moments in that Ravens game, but uh, the Chargers game overall, the offensive line played great. Uh, Mike, you talked about the protection that, that kind of helped Kirk um, unleash the ball downfield on some of those long first and 20s, second and 20s where he was taking some chances. And I think a big part of that was Mason not getting just drilled right back into the quarterback's lap all too often that we see from Garrett Bradbury. We see him almost airlifted to the quarterback and you just can't, you can't really have that in the NFL. And we've just, for him being in his third season, some of that stuff becomes inexcusable um, this far into his career. Yeah. And if we're going, you know, strictly by merit and obviously, you know, um, Mason Cole, the sample size this year is small and I don't think he was great with Arizona. That's why he became expendable. But if you're going by, you know, if we're going to trust metrics that, that pro football focus uses um, weeks nine and 10 Mason Cole rated the 10th best center in the league for the year, for, for those two weeks uh, overall for the year, Garrett Bradbury is 24th among qualified centers out of 29. So if you're just looking at that and you're saying, okay, who's played better, who's graded out better, it's it's not really a competition. It's it, Mason Cole played better these last two games than Garrett Bradbury played in the first seven this season. So I think Ben po- Ben's point's a good one. Like, you know, how much how much of this has to do with um, you know the, the decision makers who made that decision, specifically Rick Spielman, wanting to feel good about the pick they made and seeing them on the field versus what is what is merit based and. I guess uh, Spielman could still feel good about trading for Mason Cole and adding that depth before the season started. So I guess either way, um, there's a, there's something for him to feel good about. The other thing I think to point out here too is the specific matchup this week. And 
it, they wouldn't be matched up completely all the time. But when Garrett Bradbury has seen Kenny Clark, he's had a lot of trouble in the past. Kenny Clark has given the Vikings offensive line fits the past couple of years. And if you're thinking about that in terms of if the Packers don't have some of their pass rushers and you say, if we can neutralize 97, we can do a lot against this defensive front that may factor into it as well. If the coaches are saying we can't trust Garrett Bradbury against Kenny Clark, I wouldn't blame them for that given the history that Bradbury has had with a lot of these types of tackles. Grady Jarrett has given him trouble as well, but Clark is one of the guys on that list that has had a lot of pretty good games against Garrett Bradbury. Yeah, that's a good point about Kenny Clark. I remember, too, I think it was the 2019, a really ugly December 2019 loss to Green Bay where I think the Packers had moved to Darius Smith inside on passing downs yes. and yep. him against Bradbury. And I know Smith's not going to be there uh, playing on Sunday, but it just goes to show you how the Packers certainly felt about the center at the time. And I don't think Garrett's done much to change that kind of uh, talent evaluation this far into his career. So it could be it could really mark the end of um, his time in the starting lineup if Mason doesn't let go of this job uh, this week in practice because it seemed like Wednesday he was getting the lead shot at that. Uh, in general, I want to talk big picture about this rivalry because it seems like the Vikings have an opportunity winning in L.A., showing that, hey, we can put this collection of really good talent together and actually get something out of it uh, in terms of wins and losses. Um, they could play spoiler to the Green Bay a little bit. Now, the NFC is wide open. The Rams lost, which was good for the Packers. It was good for um, those teams at the top of the standings right now. But, I mean, the Vikings could be the reason the Packers don't get a first-round bye if they somehow manage to get two wins out of this. So, Mike, what do you see the Vikings' role here at this point that it felt like a lost season at 3-5, and five, and now if you somehow get away with a win here, you're at 500 with a potential to make the playoffs and, and spoil the Packers' maybe final run with Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I think those are two things to keep an eye on. I think Mark Craig had good perspective. I kept thinking, you know, three and five, it, it's done. And he's like, NFL's weird. You know, they win this game and all of a sudden it's a, it's a different conversation. And, you know, you guys follow it, you know, in a, in a different way than I do. And you probably know that too. So it's, it's just a, it, it does have a certain feel to it. Like that seven seed in the NFC just feels like less and less, like it's going to be more than nine wins. Like there's just not a great seventh team in the NFC right now. At least I don't see one unless Cam Newton takes the Panthers on some kind of run or Atlanta is better than we thought they were. Like, it's just not a great collection down at the, down at the kind of the, the middle of the, the NFC right now. And there's no reason the Vikings, you know, can't finish with nine wins based on their schedule, but to do that, they've, they've got to at least win one of these games against green Bay. And this one would be, the most likely one. So, you know, kind of back to the question of kind of this whole rivalry, it always feels better when they're more on equal footing, especially when the teams are like both really good, you know, like, especially, you know, the far of year of 2009 or back in the, you know, when the Packers were coming off the Super Bowl in 97 and then Moss came in and it was a good back and forth for a few years where both teams were still pretty good. Um, and then again, you know, 2015, when they were kind of going at it to see who was going to be division champs and even 2019, when there was a lot at stake, like when they're both, when they're both really good or were they're both like when they're, when they're both trying to accomplish the same thing, I feel like the rivalry feels more right now. It feels like Packers are clearly the better team, but yeah, both teams still plenty to play for. And I feel like the Vikings probably enter this feeling less like let's spoil their season and more like, let's, let's try to, let's try to resuscitate ours and get back to 500 and, you know, bank two consecutive quality wins and feel good about them. Yeah, Ben, they're not, they're not out of it. 
There's a chance. I'm telling you, there's a chance. There's always a chance. I mean, the, the NFL's expansion of the playoffs is in part so that there are more fan bases saying this, that they, Hey, we have a chance. There's a way for us to get in. There's a way for us to be part of super duper wildcard weekend, Saturday through Monday, I think, or something. Um, so that's part of it. And that's, that's good for the business. It's good for the bottom line. It's good for ratings, tickets, all that stuff. I think it's also probably good for coaches because then they can say, Hey, we made the playoffs more often. Um, I, it probably is a little bit less of an accomplishment when it only takes, I think, nine and eight or maybe even eight and nine to get in. But yeah, that's become part of it, that there's there's a chance for everybody to say we're not that far out of at least being able to get in and feel like we have a chance because the playoffs are one and out and you never know and things get weird and, and who, you know, who knows, but it's, I, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if they won this game. I think it's certainly within their ability to do so, uh, especially with the guys the Packers are missing and, and may still be missing this week. Um, it, the, the thing I think that it's going to come down to, as it always tends to do, is Kirk Cousins. He has not been terribly good against the Packers, especially against the Matt LaFleur Packers. And him turning in a, a big time performance, I think it may be what it takes for them to win this one. And and that's coming against a team that he's he's laid some stinkers against the Packers in the last couple of years. I that the one uh, at Lambeau that they lost in in um it would have been 2019. And then uh, the one in uh at the at I almost said the Metro <laughs> at US Bank Stadium, he wasn't very good either. I think Kevin King picked them off in that one. So I think a lot of this comes down to, is he able to have the same kind of game he did last week and will he be able to do it successfully? Would you sum up the Vikings chances as an NFC playoff contender in the same fashion that, that it comes down to Kirk? I think a lot of it will. I mean, the thing that gets tough is, you know, I think if you go four and four, that puts you eight, and nine, you're going to have a chance to get in. You need to go five and three to get to nine and eight at this point. And I think it's doable, but you have two games left against the Packers. You have the Rams and then you have the bears twice and bears aren't off. Aren't that good, but they haven't swept the bears in years. So if you figure one of those ends up going weird, the Steelers on a Thursday night, it's hard to know what to make of the Steelers, especially if TJ Watt is hurt, but it's, yeah, I think they have a chance. It's just, can you be consistent enough? and win enough of these games. I mean, heck, the 49ers, it's hard to know what to make of them after they go out and stop the Rams the other night. So um, a lot of it comes down to just are we able to be consistent enough to string wins together in a way that it's not just one week at a time of, hey, that looked pretty good, and then you can't follow through on it. I think the consistency that you have to get from this team starts with Cousins, and I think it's going to be consistency that ultimately – tells the tale of whether they get there or not. Yeah, Mike, the conversations in the media room at TCL Performance Center have got to the point where you can just throw out any team in the NFC and say, hey, they seem like the best team in the NFC. And you can just say the conversation is just sure. Why not? Yeah, sure. The Cardinals, sure. The Rams, sure. The Bucks, sure. that Because it could be anybody at this point. And there's really doesn't seem to be a clear front runner uh, in this playoff field. 
I don't there's one. I don't know if there's one great team in the NFL this year. I mean, I feel like there's eight or ten teams that you would not be, you know, crazy to think would win the Super Bowl right now. And then even outside of that eight or ten, um, there's probably another, you know, another four or five that you're like, yeah, they're on a given day, they're pretty good. So it's 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 a weird year in that way. Cause I usually feel like by this point in the season, we have a pretty good handle on who we think are, you know, at least the, the two best teams in each conference or, you know, you got a pretty good idea of, of who that is. And I just don't feel like we have that sense this year. And I don't know if it's just because there's more parity from week to week. If, if so much of what happens is determined by individual matchups or schemes or things like that, but it definitely feels like a year where there's a lot more volatility from week to week. And it's just harder to predict. Like the only thing I, like the only thing that's been easy to predict until last week was that the Vikings were going to struggle in, in closing out games. <laughs> and then they go ahead and do that uh, and, and beat the Chargers in the fashion that they did. Uh, they always pull you back in. Just just when you think you'd had enough, they find a way to pull you back in. Um, let's go ahead and take some questions. We got plenty on Twitter. And Ben, you told me to remind you of one that you got emailed, I think. Yeah, um, DM, actually. Or DM. Do we want to start there? Sure. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it was uh, actually a pretty good one. Um, it's long, but that's probably why the DM instead of Twitter. Um, Joseph asks, what do you think is holding Kubiak back from getting speed and skill guys like Nwangu, Osborne, and Westbrook the ball rather than targeting Ham, Conklin, and Stalker in situations where the big three, Cook, J.J., Adam, aren't being targeted? The obvious answer is old-school Zim philosophy, but would the Kubiak playbook ever expand to a dynamic play set, i.e. Chiefs, Rams, Tampa, even if Zim allowed it? I love Conklin and Ham, but I'm just imagining how much more elusive we could be if we involved those secondary players. That's interesting. Yeah, it makes me think of the start of the Cardinals game where K.J. Osborne catches a 64-yard touchdown, right? I think it was a play action right out of the gate. They got yep, him loose. Yep, first play. Down the field, and we just – yeah, we haven't seen much of that. Um, and certainly Wong, I don't know if we've seen him on offense at all um, since he's come back. And, yeah, they, they just haven't really worked those guys in. And, look, this is an offensive staff that had to tell you last week that we're focused on getting Justin the ball more. I mean, I think – Jefferson <laughs> called that a big adjustment. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I think there's been enough issues to work through and just some, maybe – I don't know, I don't want to call it simplifications, but we, I've heard Clint Kubiak say a hundred times just in the, in the year he's been coordinator, half a year he's been coordinator, and saying it's about players, not plays. And it's like, well, okay, well, then he needs to learn, I think – and kind of put that up on the wall a little bit to remember it because um, yeah, we, that's, that just seems to be their issue is just get the ball to your best players and let them work. And I, I think we don't even need to take it so far as to say KJ or Ken a or any of these secondary guys. It's just find a way to get Justin open on a slant, find a way to get uh, the, the 11 yard carry that Justin had out of the gate against um, was it Dallas or no Baltimore. Um, like something like that, where they do that on the first scripted series, they hand Justin off on a jet sweep. I think it's for 11 yards. You don't see that again, the rest of the game. And they run the fake jet motion every time, but defenders just aren't following through with it because they know you're going to run it once and never go back to it. And it's that kind of rut that they fall into where you don't see them going back to things that had worked necessarily all the time early in games. And when they do, they're not executing it the way that they should. Um, yeah, I don't know what to think of that in terms of that question, but it's, their problem seems to me bigger than just that, bigger than just get Kenny involved. Well, I, I think it speaks a little bit overall to one of the confounding things here is that they draft every year 
for upside. We hear them talk all the time about we want athletic guys that even if they're not completely polished yet can turn into special players based on what they bring to the table from an athletic perspective. And I think Wangu, I think Smith-Marset, Osborne probably to some degree, certainly Jefferson, certainly Cook, um, and even Thielen, I, I don't think it's enough credit for the athletic ability that he brings to the table. You have, especially Wangu, man, I, I was so impressed with him uh, just in terms of the pure speed that he he showed on the kick return and then even a little bit on the fake punt. I, I think it, on turf, if you're able to get the ball to those types of guys in space, it just changes everything in the NFL. I, I just I think speed and space is we see that we see teams build Super Bowl winning offenses on those things, finding guys who have special athletic skill sets and getting them the ball in space. And I just I think the way they've drafted gives them a group of guys that can play that way, but you have to figure out ways to get them the ball and do it in such a way that they have space to move and, and do things after the catch. That's think, been a problem. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. I was just going to say, I think my favorite way I've heard football described is aggressive real estate acquisition. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and I, I just think of, yeah, when you think of speed, that's just the, it's the easiest way you can scheme these things all you want, but if your guy's faster than the other guy, that's all it takes. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, this is a problem going back even to, to previous years. It used to, Drive me nuts in the, the early Zimmer, Norv Turner years when they had Cordero Patterson. It seemed like all they wanted to do is yell at him for being a bad route runner. Yeah. And they didn't want to get it, they didn't want to use him how he was most effective. And I'm sure I've complained about this on the Access Vikings podcast before. And it's been a while because he hasn't been here for a while. But it's but he it's continues just, to show why they should have done that. I mean, yes. he's still doing that. Like he's he's kind of one of those guys where He's never going to be a polished, complete player, but he is just special enough in space that he can just find a way to get him the ball even three or four times a game on a little gadget play, whether it's a little screen, whether it's even a pitch in the backfield. I saw some saw the highlights of one of those games. I think it was 2013, maybe, where he took like a pitch 80 yards in the snow in Baltimore. And I think he had Baltimore. a And I remember that game. That game was bonkers at the end. Yes. Um, but just, you know, just finding a way to, to, to trust that your playmakers are going to go make plays. So it, it maybe, maybe there's a thread there that extends not just from, you know, it extends certainly to, Hey, well, should we get the ball to Justin Jefferson? But also like, should you just simply flat out look for every opportunity possible to get your special offensive players, the ball rather than eight yards to the tight ends? Yes. Yeah. It's, I just think the game is everything has shifted to spreading everything out, putting things in space. The rules are tilted in that direction too. I just, I think if you have guys with speed, you are going to win. You are going to score points. It just, it, it seems to me like that would be the, the way to go forward, especially when you get guys like Wangu and guys like Smith Marsek that can do some of those things. And yes, there's things that they need to polish. There's things they need to figure out in the structure of the offense, but I just I think if you design things for those guys and at least put that speed on the field, I think it makes a difference. Yeah, we don't see too much in terms of they got a lot in the screen game. They got a lot um, in some of the lateral stuff, I guess, when it comes to Jefferson throwing the ball or getting those jet sweeps. But they just don't go to it very often. And they certainly don't have a lot when it comes to guys like Kenny uh, getting in there 
and you like to see him get the ball more or at all on offense, um, you would. To the, to the point of this question, yeah, it, I don't think it would hurt them to get his speed on the field on offense. It's just a, an indictment on maybe their creativity or, or lack of trust in a rookie to go out there and do it. And I think why not mix it in there for a player or two? I just don't see why you can't do that. When Alexander Madison, for as, as good of a fill-in for Cook as he is, isn't that kind of blinding athlete. And, and um, they can get those guys on the field certainly more. Um, we got a question here from Neil. We'll move on. Neil wants to know our buddy from London. of the Vi- If the Vikings make the last NFC playoff seed, would they be the wild card team no one wants to meet? He's asking what a, what a run of victories – and them having the experience and the talent um, make them good, basically, opponents to go on the road and win a playoff game. Now, he's taking it a step far from what we were just saying. Can they get that seed? He's saying if they make it, could they make? Could they even win a game, potentially? Mike, what do you think? I, I think yes. I, I feel like they, they'd be the kind of team you probably wouldn't want to play just because they have a certain level of talent and have showed that they can kind of play – I mean, they've been in almost every game. They've been in pretty much every game this year. They haven't gotten run out of any field this year, and they've played some good teams. They've played Arizona. They'll get a good test with Green Bay this week as well. I mean, they played the Ravens. I mean, these are all games that they could have, should have won. So, yeah, I think that if they get in and they look pretty good down the stretch, they'll, they'll be, they would be a tough out at least for pretty much anybody in the, in the NFC. I, I, tougher, I would imagine, than anybody else that I could see getting that seven seed, I guess. Yeah. And Ben, I guess I should, I, before I get your thoughts on this, I should uh, edit my reading of his question. He was basically asking, saying the Vikings would be on a run of victories, have that talent and have done it against good teams away from home. Meaning if they were to get in, they would have had to have theoretically done well against green Bay on the road, Chicago on the road, potentially the Rams at home, San Francisco on the road, like in order to, to fulfill that, you would have actually had maybe won some some games against quality opponents here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's exactly the point I was about to make, is that the only way you're getting in at this point is probably winning one of the three against the Packers or the Rams. I, I just I think it's hard to imagine you lose all three of those and you're still nine and eight. I mean, it, it's mathematically possible that you then go beat the 49ers, the Lions, the Steelers, and beat the Bears twice. I just think it's probably asking a lot to, to go do that. Now, maybe that's, maybe that's these Vikings that they um, beat the teams that they should beat and they can't quite get over the top against the, the, the top crust of, of the NFL and the top crust of the NFC. We'll see. But, yeah, I, I think if they get in, in all likelihood, they're going to have to have beaten – the Packers at least once and maybe win two of those three against the Packers and Rams, given the fact they never seem to sweep the bears. Yes. I, I think if they get in, it's probably in a way that has answered a lot of this question. We've been asking all year of how good are they really? You probably will have answered it to say we're, we're pretty good. So you get in and who knows? I, I do think among the teams that are fighting for that seventh spot, they have a more stable quarterback situation than anybody else that's in that mix. And I do think, you know, say what you want about cousins. I, I think that matters to have just that stability. And you kind of know that the guy running your offense is uh, in command of it when he's at his best. Well, then let's segue to this question. And 
go right into your thoughts on this because Daniel Taylor asked the talk of the preseason was Mike Zimmer had to make the playoffs this year to keep his job. Would a first round loss as the seventh seed be enough for the Wilts? That's an excellent question. Cause I think that's that if I'm looking at the likely scenarios right now, I may put that at the top of the list that they get in and go play somebody in the first round that they're just not quite good enough to beat. I, I guess it depends how it happens. Um, if you get a couple of wins that you can sell, um, and by sell, I mean sell to ownership as evidence of, hey, we're on the right track here. Um, yeah, I could see a scenario where they stay in that, in that uh, course of events. The question that they have to answer, though, I think is the defense. Because you look at that list, everybody on it is – a free agent after this year. I mean, they have so many guys they either are going to have to make decisions on like the Neil Hunter or guys that are going to be free agents. And I think you'd have to be able to say, we know how we're going to rebuild this defense and it's going to work better than the last time. And it won't be with the stop gaps that we had to use this year. There's going to be a lot of that question. I think you'd have to answer, but yeah, I, I, if you get in, I, the, the trajectory has been, if we're around, if we're competitive, if the brand is strong enough for people to sit there in December and say, hey, there's a chance, let's keep going to the games, let's keep turning on the TV, let's keep turning on the radio, um, they have not shown a lot of interest in blowing any of that up. All right, Mike, Ben says it might be enough for the Wolves. Is it enough for Michael Rand? I mean, 